Justin has uh, a little description. He graduated from Northwestern High School in 2012 and uh, then went to Atlanta Bible College where he studied for four years. He graduated from there earlier this spring and then has gone down to Texas to work with a church there for an internship, which lasts a year, and he'll be wrapping that up, and then he'll be official. So anyway, um, he's back for the holidays, and we ask him to come speak for us as he contemplates what he's going to do for his future. And uh, for us as a church, we um, are continuing to line up different speakers so that we can just get to know a bunch of people. And it's like a big, messy dating process. So no decisions are made in any way. We just like to get to know people. So I encourage you after church, introduce yourself and uh, tell them a story about yourself and ask who he is. Jacob, it's all yours. All right. Well, hey there. It is nice to be back in Ohio, especially after experiencing... Texas in the summertime. <sighs> it's way too hot. But I am excited to be here today, and I want to thank everybody who made this possible this morning. It's good to be back in Ohio. It's good to be here. I think this is my first time, first time being at North Hills, or one of my first times. Yeah. But it is good to be here. So, um, this is Advent season. This is a very special time during the year where we uh, celebrate the birth and the arrival of the greatest gift that has ever been given, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of David, the coming King of the Kingdom of God. And what better way to celebrate and honor Jesus during this time than to tell people about Jesus? And what better way to tell people about Jesus than sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel with people, sharing the good news of Jesus and the kingdom with those who don't know. So earlier this fall, uh, I was asked to do a sermon series, and as I was contemplating what, what, I, what I should do, where should I go, uh, the gospel kept coming to mind. And so over the course of six or seven weeks, uh, I just looked at a basic outline of what the gospel is and what, and what each part of it means and why is it important and how we can share people, how we can share with it uh, with people. And so, unfortunately, I do not have all day to go through seven weeks of material. But we will look at one aspect, one aspect, the first step, and that is repentance, repentance. And so... I know for a long time uh, I was uh, a bit confused and kind of not really sure where to go. If I were to share to the gospel, if I, if I were to share the gospel with somebody, what exactly that would look like. Um, and so this this sermon series I did uh, kind of put that together. But the first step uh, is is repentance. That was one of Jesus' first commands. So if you could open up your Bible to Luke 19. Luke 19, we're going to be looking at the first 10, well actually, I'm sorry, turn to Luke 5, <laughs> Luke 5 first. So, I want to share with you a story, I want to share with you a story. Uh, this was a long, long, long time ago, way back when I was in first grade, seems like forever now, and I was on a field trip, 
uh, I don't remember where, where we were at, but I was on a field trip, and uh, it was really bright and sunny that day. And I didn't, I didn't have any sunglasses. And we were about to eat lunch, and I was really excited. Mom packed me a lunch, and I was super hungry. So got everything out. We were sitting at a picnic table, and I was getting stuff ready and had this sandwich in front of me. And I was about to dig into it and picked it up, and I was about to bite into it. And all of, out of nowhere, I hear, ah! That was my impression of a bunch of first grade girls. And these girls screamed really loud, and I'm like, whoa, why? Well, it turns out, as I was eating the sandwich, as I was about to take my bite, a bee had landed right where I was about to bite. But I didn't see it because my eyes were squinted, because the sun was super bright, and I almost ate a bee. <laughs> and now, you know, today I'm terrified of bees and moths. Maybe that's where it stems from. I don't know. But I was saved from a very painful experience had not these girls warned me. And I would be telling a much different story right now, a much more painful story. So in the same way that those girls uh, saved me from a very painful experience and I changed my course of action, uh, Jesus, in the same way, to those who want to follow them, he warns them. He warns them and he calls them to a life of repentance. And repentance isn't um, a word that we use uh, very much in our common communication with each other, but Repentance is simply, I'm going this way, and I'm changing my mind. I'm changing my course of action, and I am returning back to God. And so in Luke 5, Luke 5, verse 31, Luke 5, verse 31 and 32, Jesus has, Jesus has this to say. Verse 31, and Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a, uh, a physician, but those who are sick. Verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jesus says in verse 31, those who are well, those who are healthy, they don't, they don't need a doctor. Rather, it's those who are sick that need one. And he goes on and he go, uh, clarifies in the next verse what that means. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but rather I have come to call sinners to repentance. And so when we think about uh, what, what motivated Jesus to do what he did, one of the pillars that motivated him to do his ministry was to call those who needed saving to repentance. And a great story that exemplifies that is in Luke 19. If you could turn with me to Luke 19, verse 1, we're going to look at the first. 10 verses, Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10. <clears throat> In verse 1, he entered Jer uh, Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was, and was unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. In verse 4, he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, 
for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to this place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they, say it, uh, when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He is gone to be the guest of a house of a sinner. In verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give back to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. In verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So here in Luke 19, uh, well, in Luke 5, we see that one of the things that motivates Jesus is to call those who need saving sinners to repentance. And in Luke 19, we're introduced to this character. He's a man of small stature. He's a, he's a, a chief, uh, chief tax collector, and he was rich, which we learn about in verse 2. And the thing about Zacchaeus, the thing about Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector. Um, now, tax collectors um, back in the first century uh, were not looked upon with favor. I mean, taxes aren't really looked upon with favor today, so even more so back then. Zacchaeus, he was a Jew, and yet he was a tax collector. So he wasn't looked upon very favorably. The reason why is because he was working for the oppressor, Rome. Rome was oppressing the people of the Jews. They didn't have their own land. Rome was over them. They couldn't be their own people. And look at this guy, Zacchaeus. He's taken our money and given, them, given it to the people who's oppressing us. He's a traitor. He's a Jew who's working for the oppressor. But not only was he a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. He was somebody with status and, and, and people under him who worked for him. And we also learn in verse 2 that he was rich. In, in Luke's gospel, he has a, um, he, he has a theme of, of, of um, wealth and possessions and money. And usually in Luke's gospel, we find out that somebody is rich, somebody has a lot of possessions, usually judgment or denouncement comes to that person. And it is not a very good experience. And so what Luke gets at is... Uh, uh, those who are rich, watch out, but those who are poor, look forward to the hope of the coming kingdom of God because of the reversal that it brings. And so we, we learn about Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector. He is a traitor, and he is also rich. If I had to guess, I'd say it's not looking so good for wee little Zacchaeus. But in verse 3, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and wasn't, well, he couldn't because he was tiny. He was small. He was short. He's a man of small stature. So in verse 4, he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him because Jesus was about to pass through that way. Now, Zacchaeus, though, though he is tiny, he, he is a man of, of status, of uh, wealth, 
he's a chief tax collector, if he has people working under him, he's probably a man of influence as well. And yet, in verse 4, he ran and he climbed. Uh, this, is, this is a very undignified way for a man of his, of his stature to act. I mean, you're a chief tax collector. You're rich. You let people come to you. You don't run after people. But we see that Zacchaeus, he runs, he climbs, he acts in a very undignified manner to get to this man, Jesus. In verse 5, when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come on down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. Jesus received the, uh, the traitor. Jesus received the person who is rich and probably not obeying uh, the law of Moses. If he's a, a chief tax collector, if he's really rich, if he's a man of status, if he's working with Rome, chances are he's probably not keeping the five books of the law. But yet, still, Jesus receives him gladly. And in verse 7, when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. What in the world is Jesus doing? And in verse 8, after Jesus invited them in and they were meeting together, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. So Zacchaeus, we see that he, he runs after Jesus. He tries to get to him, and, which means he, he must have some sort of knowledge about who this guy Jesus is that he wants to go see him. And after he meets with him, Lord, behold, I will, I will sell half of my possessions and give it to the poor. And anybody who I have defrauded, I will give back four times as much. And in Leviticus, Leviticus 6.5, there's a law. It says, if you defraud anybody of anything, you are to repay back what you defrauded plus a fifth. But Zacchaeus, he's going to pay back what he defrauded plus four times as much as he defrauded them. So Jesus, or Zacchaeus, he's going way above the call, way above the call of duty. And even though, even though re, uh, the word repent or repentance doesn't show up in the text, the themes of it are there, and we see it in how Zacchaeus acts. He's a, he's a chief tax collector. He is rich. He's a man of influence. He's perceived by his contemporaries as a sinner, somebody not worthy to be. And he turns. I will sell half of my possessions to the poor, and anybody whom I defrauded, I will give back four times as much. He was living this way, and he changed. He turned from the life he was living and decided to follow and obey Jesus. Look what happens in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today's salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. 
And verse 9 is pretty radical. It's, it's, it's pretty radical. We have, we have Zacchaeus, who's probably, uh, we can infer, not keeping the law like a good, sh- like a good Jew should do. He's, uh, he's not keeping the law. He's a chief tax collector. He's working for the enemy. He's taking our money and giving it to the people who's oppressing us. He's rich. Basically, uh, his, his life in every way does not match up with God. And yet, Jesus comes along. He invites Zacchaeus in, and Zacchaeus responds accordingly. And he sells half of his possessions. He gives back four times as much. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house, for he too is a son of Abraham. And so this, this, this man who was unworthy in the eyes of his uh, fellow um, Jews, Jesus says, actually, no, because he has repented, because he has turned his life, he has shown action, he too is a son of Abraham. He is in the people of God again. He is an heir to the promises of Abraham. Just radical. Radical. This shouldn't be happening. Zacchaeus shouldn't have salvation. He's terrible. But he repented. He repented and he changed his course of action. And Jesus blessed him um, willingly and said the salvation had come. And then in verse 10, verse 10 is kind of like uh, um, encapsulates everything that just happened one through, in 1 through 10, 1 through 9. And in verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Zacchaeus, he was, a, he was a lost man. Yes, he had status. Yes, he had wealth. Uh, but ultimately, because of the life he was living, he was outside of the promises of God. He was outside of the people of God. And Jesus came to him. And more like Zacchaeus came to him. And Zacchaeus responded accordingly. He repented. And he has been promised a place in the people of God again. And remember... Remember what Jesus said in, in Luke 5, 31 and 32? I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. And what do we see in Luke 19? We see Zacchaeus, a sinner, somebody not worthy, repenting. Mark, Mark 1 up for Jesus. Jesus 1, the enemy 0. So we see that uh, here, in Luke, here in Luke 19, a very... Good example of repentance. But I want to look at some other, other passages real quick. Can you turn to uh, Genesis 19? Genesis 19. We're going to look at a fairly familiar story. Genesis 19. So in this story, we have, we have two, two cities. Sodom and Gomorrah. And we learn a few chapters back that um, these, these cities were exceedingly wicked in the eyes of God, in the eyes of Yahweh. They, they were not pleasing to him. And uh, we learn about Lot and how he becomes involved in these cities. God's about to destroy the cities, but he sends two angels to go rescue Lot and his family to save them because destruction is imminent on these two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you can look in verse 17, Genesis 19, 17, 
When they had brought them outside, one, one of the angels said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. So an angel says, hey, look, guys, God is about to destroy the city. You need to go. You need to run to the mountains and do not look back. And then look, uh, and then look in verse 26, Genesis 19, 26. But his wife, whose wife? Lot's wife. His wife from behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. She looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And this story always struck me as strange um, as to, God, why, why would you kill her? She just glanced back. But this word that's translated as look, it does not mean just mere observance as, you know, I'm running and I just happen to glance behind me and see the destruction of the cities. This word um, has a deeper meaning. It's not just to look upon with observance, but it's to Look upon with consideration. What you're looking at, you're considering it, you're pondering it. And so when Lot's wife looked back, it's not as though she was just observing what God was doing, but she was uh, reminiscing on what had happened there, on her life there. And uh, the condition of her heart was not right before God. We could say that uh, she didn't really repent of what, of what had happened back there. And we saw that because she looked back. The angel said, do not look back. God is about to destroy the cities. Do not look back. That was then, but God is saving you. And she looked back. She had not fully repented. She, her heart was not in the right place. And God acted accordingly. And one more, one more passage in Exodus 7. I'm sorry, Exodus 9. Exodus 9, verse 27. <clears throat> Exodus 9, verse 27. Uh, right now, Egypt is in the middle of plagues. God is bringing about destruction on Egypt because Pharaoh will not let God's people go. And in verse 27 of Exodus 9, Pharaoh has this to say. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. Yahweh, he is the righteous one, and I and my people are the wicked ones. Make supplication to the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as you go out of the city, I will spread my hands to Yahweh, and the thunder will cease, and there will no longer be any hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. In verse 33, So Moses went out from the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail and the rain no longer poured on the earth. Verse 34, But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not let the sons of Israel go, just as Yahweh had spoken through Moses. So in this passage, we see that Pharaoh is keeping God's people in captivity, and God wants him to let them go, and he will not let them go. And so God sends plagues upon Egypt. 
And Pharaoh says, we see in verse 27, Pharaoh says, all right, all right, all right. Your God, he, he is the righteous one. I have sinned. Me and my people, we are the wicked ones. Moses, if you can just go out and talk to God and make a petition on my behalf, then I will let your people go. And so Moses goes out and he makes a petition to God. God, the, uh, the thunder, the rain, the hail, stop. And it stopped. And Pharaoh did not let his people go, did not let God's people go. He kept them. And we see a similar episode in the very next chapter, in chapter 10. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 16. Then Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron, and he said to them, I have sinned against Yahweh, your God, and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once, and make supplication to the Lord your God that he would remove this death from me. And so again, we see, your God is the right God. I, I am a sinner. I'm doing horrible. Please make this stop. And Moses goes out, just as he did before, and he does so accordingly. He petitions God on behalf of Pharaoh, and God stops the plagues. And yet Pharaoh does not let God's people go. And so, what we see in these two passages is that Pharaoh, he's very, he's very intelligent about the things he has done wrong. He, he recognizes that Yahweh, God, he is the true God. He is the righteous one and that he and his servants and everybody under him are the wicked ones, are the ones who are not doing right. And he says, uh, just, just please ask God to stop and I will, I will let his people go. And so Pharaoh acknowledges his sin. He outright says it. But when God comes through with him, with his promise of stopping the plagues, Pharaoh doesn't let God's people go. Pharaoh gives God lip service. Yes, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And God responded to his plea. And Pharaoh was not willing to follow through with his supposed forgiveness. And we see how God deals with the nation of Egypt later on in the story. Because even though Pharaoh, he knew he was doing wrong, he didn't really want to change. And so we see with Zacchaeus, we see, we see a great story with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he is a, he's a man who uh, is despised, not really looked upon with favor among his fellow Jews, except for those he works with and whatnot. Uh, He shouldn't be part of the people of God. And yet Jesus comes to him, and Zacchaeus comes to Jesus, and Zacchaeus responds accordingly and gives up uh, the the life he used to live. He was a chief tax collector. He was very rich, and he sold half of his possessions. He uh, gave back four times as much to everybody he defrauded. He showed repentance. And because of that, Jesus said, Salvation has come to this house today, for he too is a son of Abraham. So we, we, we see a great success story with Zacchaeus. Uh, Lot's wife, not so much. Not so much. Uh, the angel told her, do not look behind you. Do not, again, not just looking, but do not dwell. Do not uh, 
Consider what was behind you. You are leaving it. God is saving you. Do not look. And she looked. She was not ready to leave that life. Her heart was not in the right place. And God responded accordingly. And with Pharaoh, Pharaoh, he knew his sin. He acknowledged his sin. He knew his wrongdoing. He knew his position before God, and yet he still did not want to follow through with letting God's people go. And God also acted accordingly with Pharaoh in the nation of Egypt. Luke 5, 31 and 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. And repentance, if we practice repentance, repentance breeds life. It gives us life. And we see that in Zacchaeus. And so, uh, usually I have a little handout that I put in the bulletins, but I didn't have enough time to do that. So here are, just, here are some notes, uh, some things to keep in mind as to, all right, so what, Jacob? This is great, but what does that have to do with anything? So number one, repentance is action. Repentance is action. Uh, God is willing to forgive me. Am I willing to repent of the things I am asking forgiveness for? Repentance is action. If I, you know, if, if I really, um, if I feel convicted, am I willing to remove certain things from my life? And that takes the form of action. Repentance is action. Number two, without repentance, there can be no forgiveness. And we see that with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, he, he acknowledged his sin. He knew what he was doing. He told Moses. Uh, but Pharaoh, he, he was not willing to follow through with God's forgiveness. God was willing to stop the plagues. He was willing to stop everything. Just let my people go. And Pharaoh would not follow through. He would not repent. And so I ask you today, I ask you today, what are some of the things that God is asking you or convicting you about to repent from? Because as we are disciples of Jesus on our Christian walk, uh, it's tough. And there are some things in our life that, that uh, do not aid us in becoming closer with God and with Jesus. And uh, I want you to reflect on your life and uh, maybe things you watch, people you hang out with, situations you put yourself in. Is there anything in your life that you are feeling convicted about that you know, God really wants me to not be involved with this anymore and repent from it? So, for example, I like Netflix a lot, and I was watching the show, and it was, the storyline was really good, but the content was really bad. And one night I was sitting, and one night I was sitting there watching it, and I felt I felt this conviction. And I said, I, I can't, I can't do this. If I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, if I'm going to go down this path that God has called me to, I cannot also entertain myself with this show. So I haven't watched it since. Or uh, I once had. Um, a friendship with a person, a relationship with a person, and 
God had been telling me for a long time, Jacob, you need to not be in this relationship anymore. You need to not be in this friendship anymore. And I said, eh, God, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm doing good. And the, and the more and more and more I hung out with this person, the more it drove a wedge between me and my relationship with God and my relationship with Jesus. This, this person was not aiding me in becoming more Christ-like. It was a hindrance. And it was a very, very, very difficult decision. And God just kept saying, leave, leave. You need to stop this. And I would not listen. It was, up, it was about a year and a half where I was battling God with this. And then finally, one night, I felt this conviction that I'd never, the level of conviction I felt I'd never experienced before. And I said, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot live like this. I cannot be a disciple of Jesus and yet live like this. So it's a very difficult decision. And I have not seen this person since. And it was very difficult, but... It's the cost of following Jesus. It's the cost of following Jesus. And so, uh, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, what, what are we here selling, uh, celebrating about this, this time of year? You, we are celebrating uh, about Jesus and, and his message and his gospel. And part of that gospel, when we tell, not if or not when I get around to it, but when we tell people about the gospel, we must include repentance. We must tell people about repentance. And if we ourselves don't know, then we can't help others. And we learned in Luke 5, 31 and 32, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He has called me to a lifestyle of repentance. He has called you to a lifestyle of repentance. And it's hard, and it's tough, but it is incredibly worth it. But is it worth it to you? And is it worth it to other people who want to respond to the gospel? So I'll close with prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for all the blessings and the gifts that you give us on the, on the big scale and in our uh, daily lives. But uh, Father, uh, we celebrate you wholly because of the greatest gift that you gave us. That is your son, Jesus. And becoming a disciple of his comes with great reward and uh, treasures that no one can compare, but it comes at an incredibly high price. And Father, I pray that, um, that you give us the strength to live more holy lives that you want us to. And if, 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 uh, if there are any things in our lives that, that we know you want us to get rid of, Father, give us the courage to do so. Give us the courage to walk away from the things that are not aiding us in becoming more Christ-like. Uh, life is too short, and uh, the glory of the kingdom is too much to miss out on. And so, Father, I pray for every person here. I pray uh, that we are uh, able to help one another move forward uh, in becoming more um, better disciples of Jesus. In the name of the coming King, we pray. Amen.